up and tell her how much we love her. I'm going to suspect that he didn't let me testify so he could testify for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I do love the Lord. I love working for the Lord. You know, the years that I was working, nursing, couldn't get to church often, it just got to seem like, well, it just wasn't right not to be in church. My daughter asked me this morning, says, are you going to church tonight? I said, of course. I just don't miss church. This is where I belong. And this has been a wonderful weekend. I won't be 90 until Tuesday, but already I've had such a good time. So much has been done for me that, you know, I wouldn't mind being 90 again next year. (laughs) Last night, 72 members of my family, by birth and by marriage, gathered as a supper for me. And I was surprised when my sister and brother-in-law were there from Colorado, Ken Ken, uh, Manley, whom you know, just stopped by Wisconsin on his way from Texas to North Dakota. (laughs) And he was there when I got up Friday morning. And I won't take up the time to tell you all of the wonderful things that have happened for me this weekend already. And I won't be 90 till Tuesday. No telling what will happen before then. Praise God. Let's give her a big hand again. Sister Manley, we want you to come, if you would. We'd like for Sister Manley to come. If Lori is here, Brother Manley, I think he's counting the offering. Any other members of your family here tonight? I want a chair if I have to go through with this. She wants a chair if she has to go through with this, and she does. So, let's get her a chair. All right. Now, when I approach 90 years old, it will be the year of 2030. Now, you laugh about that, but it's going to be a lot later than that for most of you. <laughs> and we just want to, we want to have a time of fellowship with Sister Luke. Praise God. So we want you to just step right out, if you would, and come up here and greet her and tell her how much you love her. And, uh, and then as you go back to your pews, uh, approach some of our guests and we welcome all of you to Calvary Gospel Church. We're just one big family here and we love each other and we want to let you know that we love you and we're glad that you came to be with us. Come up here and shake Sister Luke's hand, would you? Me to the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> First Corinthians thirteen. <clears throat> and I want to read verse eight through verse thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen eight Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, 
but the greatest of these is charity. And I'd like to call your attention to verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And you may be seated. And I want to speak tonight on the subject, a glimpse into eternity. A glimpse into eternity. And I reread verse 12 because this is the scripture that I would like to use as my scriptural text for the evening. Now Paul is saying, for now we see through a glass darkly. The word darkly here could be translated faintly. In other words, we can see a little bit, but not a whole lot. And I really do thank the Lord that He has allowed us through certain scriptural passages to see glimpses of what's on the other side waiting for us. And tonight when Sister Ida sung the song, Long and Winding Road, it certainly began to set the stage or the, the setting occurred at that particular time in this service for this particular message. I really do thank the Lord that he did not just put us here without the Bible. There are so many people in our world without the Bible, or oh, they have access to it if they want it, but they just don't seem to want it. And when people don't want the Bible or don't have the Bible, they have nothing to look forward to. Would you at this time, before we get into the meat of this message, just raise your hands and thank the Lord for His Word. Would you do that? Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And the scripture, when it says, That which is perfect shall come, that's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will come again and receive you, Un, or unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, I believe that the Lord's going to come back after His people and He's going to take us where He presently is. Now, this is just a glimpse into eternity. It is, it's there and what is there is correctly stated. However, I don't know how you feel, but quite often when I pray, and when I get my mind on heaven or eternity, uh, you know, your, your mind just begins to, to wander down the various uh, uh, roads of, uh, of eternity that, that, that you have. You know, you can get these uh, things conjured up in your mind as to how it really is. I, I believe that the Bible, as I said, it, it certainly states what it states and means what it says, but, but there, are, there are questions that come to my mind that seem not to be answered in the Scripture. Now, I don't really know if when we get there, everybody's going to have a special little place. I don't know if it's going to be condominium living or just what it's going to be. See, I don't really know. It's, 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 it's called the Holy City, and as much as I like the country, I guess it's going to be a city. You know, <clears throat> uh, because it, it's called that. But uh, I know this, that the things that I don't like about the city, and that is smog and traffic and uh, crime, 
I don't believe it's going to be there. Might be a lot of traffic, but it's all people that uh, that 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 you are familiar with. And when I say familiar, uh, maybe I've never met people who will be there. I'm sure that 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 will be the case. But there will be a familiarity about them. What if all of a sudden you walked out of this door, drove down the street, and everybody you saw had a big smile? They waved at you. And, and you wonder, what in the world's going on? And you stepped out on the sidewalk and you thought, I'm going to ask somebody. So you put out your hand to say, uh, what's going on? And the person shook your hand and said, well, praise the Lord. You know? And, and you stood there in such amazement and you thought, my, my, my. You know, what is going on here? And, and so that person passed on by, seemed like he's in a hurry. And, and the next person that, that uh, you approached, you know, you, you were going to say, hey, what's going on? He said, well, praise the Lord. You know, and you thought, well, my, I, these people, they, they all seem to, well, well, praise the Lord, but what's going on, you know? And, and so you get back in your car and you drive over to a restaurant someplace and you go in and the hostess comes up and say, and, you know, she's got the piece of paper. And now this is not going to be a long message because this is my notes. And by the way, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, you see all this is scratched out. Those are my notes for this morning. And by the way, Brother George, you know, I went overtime this morning, didn't I? Now, that's kind of a bad example, don't you think? <laughs> you didn't say that, did you? Me? <laughs> <clears throat> but you go over to March, and they come up with this, and they start to write your name out, and she says, well, praise the Lord. What's going on here? Well, we know when we get to heaven what will be going on. Because you see, everybody who goes to heaven will be Christian. And not only will they be Christian, and that's because that word is used in such a broad sense, but they will be Christian according to the word of the Lord. You know, and I, 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 I'll tell you, I believe there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism, and there's only one way to get to heaven. A man told me one time, he said, oh, he said, you know, you take Chicago. He said, there's all kinds of roads running in Chicago. And if you get on the right road, he says, you know, you'll end up Chicago. Now, he said, isn't that true? I said, that's true. But we're not going to Chicago. We're going to heaven. And the Bible says that there is one way. Praise God. You know, it, it's a city that's set at the end of the road. And that's at the end of life's road. And there's one road that leads to the holy city. Jesus put it this way. He said, broad is the way and broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction. And many enter therein. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. And few there be that find it. Now you may say, Pastor Grant, are you trying to tell me that you believe that you have to believe exactly what you folks to believe? In order to go to heaven, you guessed it. And if I didn't believe that what I'm preaching and teaching is right, friend, I wouldn't stick around here. I'd advertise our church as being interdenominational. Now, an interdenominational church is a church that accepts people of all denominations and all walks of life without requiring conversion. Now, to us as individuals, there is a certain appeal to that. But I don't think that's what is spoken of in the Bible. And I challenge you, you know, if you disagree, then that's your own privilege. But get your Bible down and you read it and you read it and you read it and you read it and you read it. You know, the Bible is the manual of life. It tells you what you need to do and under all given situations and circumstances, and it tells you where you're going. It really does. It tells you exactly where you're going. And I want to go to heaven. And as much as I want to go to heaven, 
You know, I can get out on my knees and I can just visualize eternity and I want to go there and I like to see everybody go there. That's why we're working feverishly to fill up this building and get everybody saved that we possibly can. That's why we're holding five or six rest home services. That's why we're running buses on Saturday. That's why we have a campus ministry on, on Tuesday. That's why we have a Christian school downstairs. That's why we have a Sunday school here. Uh, that's the reason why we have all of our outreach programs, because we want to reach people, because we believe that Jesus Christ indeed is coming back to this planet Earth just like He said He would do. And if we thought that it didn't make any difference what you believe, then we are fools indeed to do what we're doing. And most churches would fall into that same category. See, we're not going to Chicago, folks. We're going to heaven. Praise God. That's where we're going. We're going to heaven. Now, this is one side of eternity. But see, there is another side of eternity also. You know... We sing the song Amazing Grace, and it, I guess of all the songs that I have sung down through the years, Amazing Grace is my favorite song. And the reason why is because it certainly was grace indeed that, that, that came to me. And, and God, through His mercy and grace, saved me. The last verse of this says, When we've been there 10,000 years, Bright, shining as the sun. Now, I like that. Can you think about going to heaven and being there 10,000 years? Now, you see, in, in eternity, there in heaven, there will not be a sun and there will be no need of the moon because Jesus Christ is the light of the holy city. And you see, the sun and the moon were given to us on the fourth days of creation, the fourth day of creation, and they served as times and seasons to determine how long the day would be and how long the seasons would be and how long the year would be. But when you get into eternity, all means of measuring duration are gone. And so there's no sun there and there's no moon there. And the truth of the matter is it's just all daylight all the time. So when we say when we've been there 10,000 years, we won't even know when we've been there 10,000 years because there will not be a way of measuring eternity. How long have you been here? Well, a portion of a day. You see, that's the way God thinks. A thousand years to God or a thousand years to man, rather, is one day to God. Or one day to God is a thousand years to man. In other words, He doesn't measure duration like we measure duration. And the purpose of the Son was to give us a means, or that's one purpose, of measuring duration. How long did something occur? We look at our watch, but this is set by the Son. And occasionally the international clocks are readjusted to read exactly the way the sun reads. And we have to do it that way because if we don't, after a while our mechanical devices might just have winter occurring in July. See? But when we're there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. In other words... It doesn't make any difference how long you're there. You're just starting. Because it's not going to end. But you see, the other side of the story is this. If we could use the terminology 10,000 years, the truth of the matter is, at the same time, there are people in the lake of fire who have been there 10,000 years also. Now you see, in the lake of fire, there will not be a light. And this is the reason why it is called outer darkness. While it is indeed a lake of fire, God will not be there. Now, there are glimpses into eternity and what God has prepared for His children. But if you turn with me to Luke the 16th chapter, you will also find that there are glimpses into eternity 
for those who are not saved. I think it would be unfair for us to just stand here and just talk about heaven all night. Well, I like to talk about heaven. Some of you are not prepared to go to heaven. And you may say, well, then if I'm not prepared to go to heaven, what should I do to get prepared to go to heaven? We hope that before this message has been completed, that you will fully understand what you need to do to go to heaven. Luke 16, the Bible says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died and was buried and in hell. He lifted up his eyes, and being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, not too long ago on a Sunday morning, I talked about hell, and I talked about the grave, I talked about the lake of fire, and certainly tonight I will not be able in the short amount of time that uh, that I have to give a Bible study on 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 this particular uh, passage of Scripture that I'm reading. But nevertheless, whether it be hell or later the lake of fire, in which people will certainly be cast forever and ever and ever, the conditions are the same. Just as the conditions in a jail cell are very similar to those in prison. And the only difference is longevity. All right, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus, Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Now hell is a literal place of torment. It's not just a figment of the mind or the imagination. Now the reason why that I'm talking about a glimpse into eternity, because I have found this to be true. Most, for the most, people only think of the immediate future, just tomorrow. And that's as far as they like to think. People don't even like to plan very far ahead. They really don't. I was listening to a report on the radio concerning the economic condition of America, and I was just really amazed. Now, what they stated over the radio, and of course this was a government's report, they stated that that 97% of all Americans have not prepared for the future. Now, they may have some type of retirement or something like this, some type of, uh, of finances that they can fall back on, but as far as really making preparation for the future, they say they're, they, they're just not prepared for the future. That's just it. Now the economy is swinging around somewhat and people now are going out and they're loosening up and they're buying. They're buying. And they're buying on borrowed money. In other words, they're falling back into the very same trap that they fell into in the late 70s. And the government is saying, wake up, don't do this. While we're trying to give you a good optimistic report that everything looks fine and everything looks well, don't, because we cannot predict the economy. And if it takes a little dip, a whole lot of you people are going to be suffering. And you're falling back into the same trap that you fell into in the mid and late 70s. Don't let it happen. In other words, because that that husband and wife both are working, and because maybe you've gotten a cost of living raise, you're, you're running out and you're charging up your charge cards to the maximum, and you're putting yourself out on a limb, you're overextending yourself. Don't do it! That's what they're saying. But they went on to finish the report. However, there's very little hope that Americans will take heed because that in the late 70s they wouldn't listen either. 
you know. And I think one of the greatest tragedies that people fall into in this present life is the fact that they don't look at the future. Now, certainly I'm not here to talk to you about the economy tonight, but I'm here to talk to you about your eternal soul and, and about uh, your destiny. But, but, but the, the way that people think, it, it's still the same. They just don't like to look past tomorrow. That's just it. Now, in the Bible, when Jesus was here, He dealt with these very same things. Now, there are certain classes of people that we find in the Scripture. Now, I've kind of narrowed it all down to a, to a couple of classes of people. Actually, three classes of people. And uh, uh, the, the first two I want to deal with quite extensively. Now, Jesus, when He was here, He had this to say. In Mark, the 8th chapter, verse 18, he said, Having eyes to see, they see not. In other words, Jesus spoke specifically to what we call the non-believer. Now, the non-believer is a person who simply does not believe that the Bible is saying what it's saying. He just doesn't believe it. Now, eyes to see, he said, you see not. Now, when Jesus was here, what did Jesus do? Well, the works of Jesus are proclaimed in the Scripture, but they're summarized uh, upon several different occasions. A good place is when the disciples of John the Baptist came, and they asked, is this really the Christ, or should we look for another? And Jesus said, you go back, and you tell John the things that you've seen, and the things that you've heard. And Jesus went on to say, for the blind are receiving their sight, and the deaf ears are being unstopped. And people who were dumb and couldn't talk, now they're talking. And people who were crippled, now they're walking. And people who were lepers, now they're being cleansed. Now Jesus did all of these works, and people were well aware of what He was doing. But you know, there's a lot of people that saw those miracles that didn't believe it. They had eyes to see, and yet they would not see. And Jesus stood one day and preached, and He said, He that hath ears to hear. Well, most people have ears, don't they? But He said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So there's such a thing as having un or non-hearing ears. And a non-believer has non-seeing eyes and non-hearing ears. In other words, you hear certain things, but certain things you don't hear. Certain things you just don't want to hear. You ever had somebody talk to you and you knew that they were listening to something else? You know, real often I have four or five people try to talk to me at one time. And uh, after a while, you know, I, I, get, I, get, I get things all so mixed up. Now, I've got to tell you this. That... <laughs> Uh, quite often, some of you tell me something, and I go home and I tell, repeat, Sister Grant. She said, "Oh, they told me that wasn't what they said." I called somebody. I called them back and said, "Look, I want to get the story straight." And they said, "Oh no, I didn't tell you that." And what happens is sometimes three or four people are talking to me. You know, somebody said, "Brother Grant, what about this?" And somebody else said, "You know what we need to do, Brother Grant?" Somebody else says, "You know what do we need to do?" And after a while, you know, we got four or five different conversations, and they're all about different subjects, and they're all going. See, now I'm hearing everything, but I'm not hearing it. And some people they just have a way of when they're hearing it, when they hear certain things, that it doesn't register. It just it, they just turn it off. I mean, it just plain doesn't register. And did you know that I have actually talked to people who were on their deathbed that knew they weren't saved, and you could you could talk to them, you could plead with them, you could do anything you wanted to do, and they just didn't really believe that they were about to slip into eternity. Or, at least if they believed it, they just, just didn't believe the Bible or something. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever talked to a man that says, Yes, I know I'm lost. And I know if I died today that I'd go to hell. And yet he was on his deathbed and you couldn't talk to him about the Lord. Now, that is he is called in the Scripture a non-believer. Because if he really did believe he was going to hell, friend, he'd do something about it. 
And if he really did believe that hell was as the scripture describes it, he would do something about it. And if he really believed that he would go there and burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and you may say, oh, Brother Grant, that's so horrible. Yes, it is. And you may say, that's so unfair. It really is. And you may say, then what am I supposed to do about it? Then don't go there. It's just that plain. If, if you think it's horrible and you think it's unfair that people ought to burn forever and ever and ever, then just don't go there. I made up my mind a long time that it was the most horrible thing I could even think of. I made up my mind a long time ago that it was unfair for people to burn in hell. I made up my mind a long time that it was the most un, unpleasant thing that I could even dream about. I really believe that somehow you and I could see through the glass. Now we see through the glass darkly. And you may say, Brother Grant, why did God purposely obscure certain things? Listen, I, I'm a firm believer that if somehow we could walk up to the window and, and we could wipe off all the dust and remove all the faintness and look into the lake of fire, that, that we, all of us, would go out of our mind right now. You see, there are certain things that God has obscured for a particular purpose. We would not be able. You may say, what about eternity? Well, I'm sure that if we could just wipe back all of the faintness and we could see eternity clearly, that is the holy city, that, that some of us would get so beside ourselves that we wouldn't come back down to real living for a long time. It's going to be great. And yet it's going to be horrible for some. For every day in heaven, if we can use that terminology, means one night in hell. And for every year in heaven, means one year in hell. And for 10,000 years in heaven, also means 10,000 years in hell. Oh, I think it's unfair that people go there. I think it's the most horrible thing that you could possibly think of. And that's why I am preaching the way I'm preaching tonight. You don't have to go there unless you just want to go there. You see, God doesn't just snatch people up and say, I'm going to cast you into outer darkness because I don't like your looks. No, in the days of Noah, the Bible says that he suffered long and he dealt with those people. And after he said, I will destroy the world, it was 120 years before the floodwaters came. Why? Because the Bible says God, not willing that any should perish, wanted those people to have everlasting life. But there were so many people that were non-believers. Do you think they really thought it was going to rain? That Noah was up there building this gigantic boat and, and nailing and painting and, and sawing and, and the perspiration was flying and he was getting ready to sail. You know how many people got on board? Not too many. How come the others didn't? You see, they didn't think it was going to rain. Now they were called non-believers, see. Now, there is another type of person in the Scripture. <clears throat> They're called disobedient believers. In other words, you don't place them in the non-believing stage, but they're disobedient believers. And I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of James, if you would, and we'll read about the disobedient believer. <clears throat> Be ye doers of the word... And not hearers only. Now, a non-believer is a person who is not a hearer. He has ears to hear, but he really doesn't hear. He has eyes to see, but he doesn't see. But the disobedient believer is a person who heard the Word of God and he took action. However, he heard doesn't mean he's hearing. Heard is past tense. He heard the Word of God, and at the present, he's not doing anything about it. Now notice what James says, Be ye hearers, or be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now we're talking about the glass. And you know, the, the Bible is actually the word of God. It's the glass. Now we see into this glass faintly about eternity. We have read some of those faint glimpses that God allows us to see. But the Bible is also a mirror. And you can go to it. And how many of you, every now and then, you're combing your hair or something, and you look at yourself and you say, is that really the way I look? I don't know if you've ever done that before. And you look at yourself and say, wait a minute. Now, I never... Now, you just looked at yourself this morning, and you looked at yourself yesterday morning, and you look, and, and most of you, especially you teenagers, you look several times a day. <laughs> Isn't that right? And, and you get to look at yourself. You know, every now and then you look at yourself and say, My, I'm really a handsome guy. And then the next time you look at yourself, you say, Man, what an ugly creature. You know, you, you, you really get to look at yourself. You know, and every now and then you look at yourself and you see things about yourself that are not right. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but I've got one eye that's a different color from the other. And when I was a kid, I had one eye that was real dark brown green and one that was just light blue. And it was very obvious. People come up to me and say, why do you have one eye one color and one eye the other? I don't know. I used to spend a lot of time looking my eyes in the mirror. Now, they say the color of your eyes is controlled by your brain. That's what they say. No, I, I'm serious with you. I had a friend who had an eye transplant, and his eyes were dark brown, and when they took the bandage off, his eye was light blue. He called up the doctor and said, Oh, what in the world are we going to do? The doctor said, Don't worry about it. It'll turn brown. He said, It'll turn brown. He said, It's controlled by the brain. Now, that's Brother David Fuller's father, who pastors over in Minneapolis. And did you know that his father's eye is brown today? I used to look in the mirror and I said, if my eyes are controlled by my brain, what is going on up here, you know? <laughs> so, something must be wrong. Then all of a sudden, one eye started getting uh, uh, kind of browner and the other one started getting bluer. And while there is a slight difference now, there's not much. You know, you have things happening like that. And, and I discovered a long time ago, you know, by looking in the mirror, just how I could control certain muscles and wiggle my ears. Have you ever tried that? And you get where you can wiggle your ears. I mean, you can really wiggle them. And you don't have to wiggle your head or anything, just your ears. Now, I learned that by looking in the mirror. But I also discovered one thing, that one ear is lower than the other one. The barber cutting my hair the other day said, did you know that one of your ears is lower than the other one? I said, yeah. But you know, when I'm out talking to you, I forget, I forget about the fact that i got one eye that's blue and one that's, that's brown green and that one ear is lower than the other or higher than the other. I forget all about that. You see, why? Because, you know, I, I just do. And it's that same way when we look when we look at the perfect law of liberty in the Bible, and with what God has really prepared for us, and the promises of God, did you know there are 1,700 promises in the New Testament that deal directly with your life here and your life into in eternity? But we can get so bogged down and so and things can become so cloudy and so obscure that that and and things can fall in on us. And the first thing we do is, Oh God, help me, help me! You know, we just lose our composure. We think, well, we're at the end of the road and things are going to cave in. You know, it's worse, but it's going to get worse than that. You know? Isn't that true? And then you got to do what? you got to go back. And you see, he was saying a disobedient believer, which is not a non-believer, but he's a guy that just forgets real often. Just plain forgets real often. And i got to tell you, you know, I quite often forget about the promises of God. And one advantage of having such a wholesome body of believers and, and, and having the prayer chain and the type ministry we have, every time you turn around, somebody's telling you about one of those great promises 
that has been fulfilled in their life. Praise God. I was just really amazed at the testimony of this woman, 101 years old. And, and, and when Brother Thomas began to tell me, he said she just lifted her hands and she just began to cry, you know, that I've been healed. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now the thing about it, see, some of the nurses and staff members heard that. And you know what they did? They came up and said, can we turn in a, a request for prayer? Isn't that great? Glory. And we want to turn it in. And he told them about the prayer chain and, and such. And sure, we believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. And you know, this is what the world needs. The world needs a constant contact with believing people, Bible-believing people, who make the law of God alive and real before their faces. But you take some sinful city where the Word of God's never been preached, and this is the reason why we're trying feverishly to evangelize Wisconsin. There's, there's little there to remind people that there's a hereafter. You know, in, in most churches when they talk hereafter, it's the preacher up, here I am after your money. But when we talk about the hereafter, we're talking about what's going to occur after life. And friend, this is just the start. It's just the beginning. You see, one of these days, we're going to be able to walk up to the mirror or to the glass, and we're going to be able to take our hand, and we're going to be able to rub it off. And we're going to see a hand on the other side that's rubbing. And we're going to see the Master... As he says, come on through. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I do not want to be a disobedient believer, but I want to be one that hears the word of God and acts accordingly. Let's go on and read this. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, you see, the secret of this is, is not just looking there, but it's continuing in it. He being not a forgetful hearer. Oh, I never want to forget where Jesus brought me from. I don't want to forget the ugly scars of sin and iniquity. Listen, when I first came to God, I, even though I had what I call a fairly good job and such, I was mismanaging my money and, and everything. Oh, listen, I was... I, I, was a, I was a mess when I came to God. I was broke and dissatisfied. And I had a longing in my heart and in my soul. And nothing would satisfy me. Nothing in the world would make me happy. I could do this and do that and this and that and this and that. All those horrible things. But nothing satisfied me. I could relate well to the words uh, of Solomon when he said, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, neither is the ear satisfied with hearing. He said, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Oh, how descriptive that is of a man who's running from God and yet trying to satisfy the longing of his soul with sinful vices. And you can drink all the alcohol you want to drink. But I'm here to tell you, it's not fulfilling. That's the reason why it's so addicting. You've got to go back to it and drown yourself. Literally drown yourself. You can smoke all the cigarettes you want to smoke. But have you ever seen a sinner just come home at the end of the day and sit down and say, Well, I'm filled up with here, so no sinning this evening. I'm content. I've had all I can take. No, it wasn't designed to be satisfying. It's designed to leave you cold and empty and give you that lost feeling. See? And listen, I don't want to be that type of believer who came to the altar and gave his heart to God, but he forgot about the past. Now, while I don't just dwell on the world and think about the things of the world, listen, I know exactly what the world is like. You know, every now and then I have somebody come up to me and say, Oh, Brother Grant, you don't know how the world is today. You know what I think? I think the devil's playing a trick on you. When Solomon says there's no new thing under the sun, 
Listen, they, there has always been drugs in the world, maybe not, not like today. There has always been vices in the world. The only reason why that things are the way they are today is because there's so many people. In fact, Jesus thought it to be so true that when he prophesied about his coming, this is the way he said it as it was in the days of Noah. Now, we're talking about thousands of years ago. There's no new thing under the sun. Listen, when you say, you don't know how the world is. Oh, I know how the world is. I used to be in the world. I know what it's all about. And I know enough about it that I want to keep my mind fresh on certain things. I don't want to go back. I say I don't want to go back. But I am a believer that all of us would go back there if we didn't keep looking through the glass. And you know, Brother O'Neill, I can become very discouraged at times of life. And I walk up and I put my hands and I, I cut out everything on the side, you know. And, and I look through the glass and I look and I look and I look. I've spent hours and hours and hours in moments of discouragement thumbing through the pages of this book. Just show me a little bit more, Lord. Just let me know a little bit more. Then I can close my eyes and I say, Now, Lord, I hope I'm not going over bounds right now but I want to just think about after death now you will never find anybody in this world that enjoys life any more than me but even at its best it's not too good Paul put it this way if in this life only I had hope in Christ Jesus I would be above all men most miserable I'd like for you to turn with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. There is a passage of Scripture there. You know, every now and then you just get something on your mind, and <clears throat> and you just uh, it just keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. Here's a passage of Scripture that I think is so very, very beautiful. Verse 7, the Bible speaks of Noah. Verse 8, it talks of Abraham, about him dwelling in a land, a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, notice this, verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so that many as the stars in the sky in multitude, and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith. Notice what the scripture says. Not having received the promises. Now what kept these people going? They took a glimpse through the glass. It wasn't so clouded they couldn't see. They could see on the other side. Now notice what the Scripture says. And were persuaded of them. And it was they believed them. They were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. And confessed that there were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Now the Bible tells us in this scripture, and I didn't read it purposely, having seen them afar off. Now, <clears throat> when you turn on and you read the rest of the chapter, and the reason why it's necessary to read the rest of the chapter, because the rest of the chapter speaks of this innumerable seed that Abraham had. 
And it gives us a rundown on those particular people. He talks of Isaac and Jacob in 20 and 21. He talks of Joseph in 22. He talks of Moses in 23 through verse 29. He talks of Joshua and Israel in verse 30. He talks of Rahab the harlot in verse 31. And then he goes on down and talks of many of the heroes of the faith. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and of Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. Notice this. Now they through faith. What did they, how did they do it through faith? They kept their face against the glass. They knew what was on the other side. They were not living just for the present and what they could feel right now. Their faith was not predicated upon human feelings, but upon principles that God had laid down for them. They believed that all the laws of God were yea, and they were amen. They had a glimpse of the future. Now notice what happened. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed violent in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. That they may do what? That they may inherit what was on the other side. They were stoned. Let me back up. Verse 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, more of bonds and imprisonments. Just recently, I was reading of some of the early church martyrs. And I was really amazed at some of the descriptive accounts that history gives us concerning some of the early church martyrs. They burned a lot of apostolic Jesus' name, oneness people at the stakes. They thought they were heretics. And history records several occasions where they tied individuals to the stake. Now they tied them to the stake, and what they did, they started out with one layer of straw or hay, and then they would put wood and another layer and another layer and another layer until they get way up to here. And when they got way up to their chin, then they ignited it on the bottom. But history records that while they were, they were stacking up straw and they were stacking up uh, limbs and wood around them that some of the people were so involved in witnessing and testifying, history records that they literally started helping the men stack up the straw and stack up the limbs around them. And what were they doing? They were saying, but you know, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is good. And while the men were having problems and the straw was falling, they were helping hold it up. They had their minds so involved on witnessing and telling, they knew that the end was at hand. And history records that when the fire was lit, and as soon as it burned the ropes from around their hands, many of them just lifted their hands automatically and they gave up the ghosts while they were speaking in tongues and praising God. And a lot of the people who crucified them were pricked in their hearts and got down on their knees and began to repent. Now, you see, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They actually took men and put them up in logs and took saws and sawed them in half. They were, uh, were tempted, were, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, and dens, and in caves of the earth. Now notice this. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now what promise are you talking about there, Brother Grant? You see, they also knew of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the things that you and I would receive. They knew. Where did they see that? They saw that in the Word of God, the glass that they were looking into. 
But what kept them going was that glimpse into eternity. God's got a holy city for us. My life is just beginning. It's there. Now, the thing about it that I want to call your attention to, the Scripture tells us in verse 13, All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. You know what I did? I went by my mirror on my, at my car. I, I came in, uh, Steve and I did, in, in the van. I'm not for sure how we got here. Did we come in the van? All right. <laughs> I didn't want you to go out there and there's no van bin. But, but I decided, I'll go by the car. Sister Grant came in early. And so I looked right in the mirror. And right on the mirror, there's a statement made there on the, on the right-hand side of most car mirrors. This is what it says. Object, objects in mirror are closer than what they appear. Now, the reason why <clears throat> that they're that way is because when the mirror is made, it's designed with a convex face on it so that you can get the broad angle or the spectrum of things around it. You go into a grocery store and places where they want to keep people honest and they have these bubble mirrors. You, know, you could walk way up, right up to it, and you look way back. And you know, life seems to be that way when we keep our eyes on things around us. There are certain promises of God that are a whole lot closer than what they are actually appear. And, and, and I can approve to you by the reading of this scripture, the Bible says, they having seen them afar off. Let me tell you something. When they looked through, a lot of these people didn't realize they were going to receive the promise within just a matter of hours. But they appeared to be a long ways off. But even though they appeared to be a long ways off, they still kept their eyes on them. And it's that way in our present world, the reason why that a lot of people don't really serve God and trust God the way they need to trust God, and the reason why that they always operate their life and, and everything seems to be predicated upon a good intention is because they think they have time to do it later. Oh, how often I've sat in my office and counseled with people, especially young people, and they always say, Brother Grant, I intend. Good intentions. I intend. I talked with someone not long ago, and I said, look, you were telling me this five, six years ago. Yes, but this time, I intend to do it. You see, the object in the mirror appears further away than what it is. It's actually closer to you than what you think. And I cannot help but believe as I stand before you that knowing life the way I know life and knowing people the way I know people, that most of us believe in a rapture and most of us believe that we will die one of these days if the rapture doesn't take place. But most of us really believe that our death will occur way down the road someplace or the rapture will take place in the year 2000, 2020, 2025. And could it be that I am standing before some person here tonight to say that the objects in the mirror are a lot closer than what they appear? Would you stand with me? Praise God. I'd like for you to bow your heads right now if you would. We'd like every eye to be closed and everyone to be silent right now. We're going to have a minute or so of just silence in this building. I believe that God wants to talk to somebody right now.
You know, we didn't say a word there for just one minute. It sure seemed like a long, long time. You know, <clears throat> when a man's life is separated from God, keep your head down if you would. You know, life gets to be a long drag without the voice of God. One of the most comforting things that you will ever hear in this life is the voice of God. Silence is terrible. I went for a period of time in my youth in which I rejected God. And he didn't speak to me for a long time. I actually went to a church several times and I wondered if God would speak to me. I got up and walked out. Sure enough, he didn't say a word. You know, God's dealing with you and talking to you right now. And this is one of the most sacred things that will ever happen to you. After the Lord did not speak to me for a long time, and then he came to me one evening, I remember making this statement, God, from now on, regardless of what you have to say, say it. But please don't be silent. If you've got to rebuke me, rebuke me. If you've got to cut me down, cut me down. If you have to speak harshly, speak harshly. If you have to scream at me, scream at me. But whatever you do, Lord, make sure you keep on talking. And the voice of God that's speaking right now to somebody is the most precious voice you'll ever hear. In this message tonight, God has forced you to take a glimpse into eternity. Let me ask you, Sir, are you ready to meet God? Ma'am, are you prepared? I told you in this message that I'd tell you how to be saved. The scripture says that you need to be a person who is willing to repent of your sins. And after you have fully repented of your sins, that you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And the scripture says... The promise of the Holy Ghost is yours. You need to be filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If you are born again, you become eligible to walk on streets of gold. Oh, now please understand, I didn't write the Bible. The holy city is not mine exclusively, and he didn't tell me just how to get there and fail to tell you. But you see, it's God's house, and he determines how you will get there. It's God's house, and he determines who will enter therein. And you know, if it's God's house, then you need to listen to God if you want to go to his house. What if, and I use the word if, what if you knew that you would die tonight? Do you feel comfortable in your relationship with God to say, Lord, I'm coming to your house now and I know that everything is well and right? Do you feel that comfortable? If not, there is a place for you to come tonight and bend your knees and call upon God. On both sides of the pulpit there is an altar of prayer. Who'd like to be the very first person to step out tonight and come? Friend, whether your destination be heaven or hell, when you pass through death, you're going to see clearly. Oh, praise God. Now we have people who are praying. We need others to come and just kneel 
Give the assistance to these people that they need. Need some sisters to come and pray with these sisters and some men to gather around these men. Would you come? Come on. Oh, <laughs> 